0: Well, hello again, everyone, and it is great to see you here on this long weekend. And I hope this weekend that you can get outside uh, when it's not raining. It seems like every Victoria Day weekend it seems to rain, but hopefully you'll be able to get outdoors. If you have a device uh, or a Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And if you are new with us here at Woodside, welcome. Uh, We're glad you're here. And we are uh, looking at a letter walking through a letter in the Bible called First Thessalonians which is rooted in a story in Acts chapter 17 that records something that happened 2,000 years ago a man named Paul was going from city to city throughout the Roman Empire sharing the good news about Jesus Christ that Jesus had died on a cross and three days later he rose from the dead and many had seen him alive including paul and that jesus was the messiah and people were to turn to jesus and come to faith in jesus and he comes to a city in thessalonica in northern greece uh, in europe and there a number of people come to faith they put their faith in jesus but while he was there for just less than a month um, the opposition grew uh, people that did not want to hear about Jesus, people that didn't believe in Jesus and uh, were opposed to him. And the pressure was so great uh, that Paul had to be hustled off, uh, in a sense, during the night, and he never had a chance to say goodbye to these new Christians. And so a year later, he's in Corinth, about three, 400 kilometers, kilometers away, and he hasn't seen them for a year. And so he writes this letter to them. And today where we pick up teaching is he's talking to them about persecution Paul for three uh, missionary journeys went from place to place and he was uh, stoned he was beaten he was whipped Uh, in the Roman Empire uh, those things sort of happened and uh, because he was following Jesus but now the Christians there were being persecuted and so this part of the letter he's going to talk to them about their immediate destiny What they can expect in the future in the in the near future their immediate destiny that you're going to suffer because of jesus and then he's going to talk to them about their ultimate destiny that one day you're going to glory with jesus so you're suffering now and you're sharing in christ's suffering but you are going to share in his Glory and so he lifts that up and for today may you see that for yourself if you're a follower of Jesus that in your Near future immediate uh, future. There's probably going to be suffering But in your far future your ultimate destiny is there's going to be glory you're going to be with Jesus and so as Paul uh, Talks to them about these two different destinies in between He's going to say in this context of persecution You guys matter to each other You matter to me and he's going to share with them how Christians are to interact we're gonna see it from his life many of us know uh, Paul as kind of like a type A personality Uh, he was task oriented always achieving things but he was also people oriented he cared deeply about people and so we're gonna see his care for these other Christians and so today may you Um, have these, in a sense, three realities in your life as a Christian in the way you relate to other Christians. So may God speak to you today as we open his word. So 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to back up to the end of chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, talking about our future destinies. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short period, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Paul writes to them. They're separated. Notice, though, the emotive language. He wants them to know how he feels. I have this intense longing to see you. I've made every effort again and again to see you. In fact, he uses the word orphaned, which was a strong word. It's to be torn away. It's the word that was used when a parent and a child were torn away. They were separated. Orphaned. That's how strongly he felt for these Christians in Thessalonica. So Paul is separated and he's longing to see them he knows it's not good for christians to be isolated not together Uh, this is something that i think uh, we can relate to Uh, the last two or so years uh, there have been many times we've been separated as christians Uh, when uh, we first entered into the pandemic uh, the elders got together and uh, had many meetings talking about what's our response as leaders in the church. And so we were hearing about people that were dying because of COVID, and people have died because of COVID, and we were very concerned for our church folks. So we made the decision that we would comply with the government and close our doors and go online, believing that the government wasn't targeting churches, that uh, other places were being closed as well, and that we would go online for a period. And so that's what we have done over these last two years. But there is a difference be- between being in person together and online. In person together, my faith, God can work where two or three are gathered together. My faith can be so steadied. When we sang today, My hope is built on nothing less. I heard other people, other Christians singing, and it was such an encouragement to me. You mean, you guys believe in Jesus and your hope is in him? And you guys believe in Jesus and you're building on him, the rock? It encourages us when we're in the same room together singing. Uh, When we're throughout the church building, we come together. And over here is someone comforting someone else. Someone's going through a hard time. Someone's comforting them. Maybe even crying with them. Or maybe praying over with them. Or there's someone over here that's encouraging someone else. We are together. Those are good things. It's not good for us to be separated. I I will say to, to all of us and those watching online, just a reminder You cannot remain isolated. You were made for community. We all need other people in our lives. But there is a difference between community and gospel centered community. So if you go uh, to a coffee shop, how many of you? uh, Some of you go to maybe Tim Hortons. Some of you out of town to Starbucks. Somewhere else. McDonald's. Okay, get some, okay, we won't go there, but it, like different faces. Okay, um, but you go to these coffee shops. Maybe there's a few of you that get together every once in a while and you just hang out. That's community. That's good. Or maybe some of you uh, like cycling and you've got a few people that you cycle with. That's a good thing. Some of you have a motorcycle and you get together with other people who have motorcycles and that's community. That's a good thing. But Christian community is a place where there are Christians and they're orbiting around the person and work of Jesus. And as Christians together, focused on Jesus, we have this longing to be together and in a sense pushing each other closer to Jesus. We orbit around him. It's a special Thing. And so Paul and the Thessalonians were separated. It wasn't good. Notice that Paul refers to Satan blocking the way. As Paul has journeyed, and journeyed during his three missionary journeys, one time he talks about the Holy Spirit and stopping him from going here and going over here. But here he talks about Satan blocking the way now we're not sure how satan blocked the way paul gives us no specifics something i would hold to is that probably paul was banned from thessalonica he's in corinth 400 kilometers kilometers away and and if he goes there uh he's going to be arrested and who knows what's going to happen to him but he uh, sees satan as the opposition now stop for a moment and think paul after seeing the risen Christ, nothing, like the other disciples, nothing could stop him. Kill me if you want. I'm going to keep talking about Jesus. But Paul tells us that he was beaten. He was whipped. He was stoned. Uh, he, it was not easy for him. And I can imagine Paul, when he went to bed at night, not just seeing one red face. Have you ever had someone that, because you're a Christian, they just don't like you? and they've got a red face, or they're upset about something you're claiming or saying. It's, it's kind of moving to have one red face. Paul has got a museum of red faces, and yet he doesn't see one single red face, face as the enemy because he knows all of those people opposing him. They all need Jesus. They haven't encountered Jesus. The real enemy is Satan. We believe in a spiritual realm where there is Satan, demons, angels. We believe that because Jesus believes that. So Paul says we're separated, and Satan is working. And then now notice he connects their present, their immediate destiny, future, with their ultimate destiny, verses 19 and 20. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory? In the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes is it not you indeed you are our glory and joy I want to remind you it's not good we're apart I'm longing to see you I hope I see you but if I don't see you in the present I will see you in the future when Christ comes when Christ comes we will glory Interesting, Peter and Paul both talk about uh, sharing in the sufferings of Christ and then having a day when we will glory and sharing in the glories of Christ. So in that day, I will see you. Paul's pa- uh, pre- future shaped his present. So when God is working in your life, you long to be together with other Christians. In countries of the world, house churches, um, under the radar, longing to be with another Christian. Sometimes we can take that for granted here in Canada. Do you long to be with other Christians? You need other Christians. Other Christians need you. When we're singing together or we're, whatever we're doing, we need one another. And I wanna say parents, you need to have that rhythm of bringing your kids so they're around other Christians as well. And with our young people and the rhythm, if you're in a life group, it's so important. Being separated from other Christians is not good. And here's what we find next. Number two, when God is working your life, you long to be together with other Christians and you're concerned about the faith of other Christians. We're orbiting around Jesus. How's that person doing? How's that person doing? Let's continue uh, chapter three, verse one. Paul, again, looking at the immediate future. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and coworker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. Two things one paul says to them you are destined for trials you're destined for suffering you're destined for persecution as a follower of jesus and then he says don't be unsettled when it comes don't be unsettled the word unsettled it's a word that's only used one time in our bibles and literally literally it means the wagging of a dog's tail And the idea is with this suffering and persecution don't go through life with your tail wagging you believe you don't believe you're not sure you're not you know you don't know about jesus anymore that you're actually moved so paul says you're gonna suffer don't be unsettled and as followers of jesus if we experience a little bit of pushback of course it's only normal to be unsettled, but it's this idea of ongoing. You're just rattled and shaken. So Paul says, don't be unsettled. You're destined for these uh, uh, trials. Then he goes on, verse uh, four. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. When we were sharing the good news about Jesus, we told you then that you're gonna be persecuted. Hey, that's what we're doing 2,000 years later. Hey, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, give your life to Jesus, because then you get to be persecuted. How does that sell? That's the reality. Not only do you get to go through life living in a fallen world where you're gonna suffer, you're gonna have heartache, breakups, and accidents, and death, and you're gonna have all that, but in addition to all of that stuff, you might be persecuted. You might get pushback. Someone might exclude you because you're a Christian. Someone might say some bad things about you because you're a Christian. Someone might think you're weird because you're a Christian. You still go to church? You believe all of that stuff? You are fill in the blank, right? We're destined for them, it's normal. Paul says, to a letter to Timothy and the church at Ephesus. Listen, if you're seeking to live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. That's just the reality. Paul goes on to say, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. I could stand it no longer. This separation, I wanted to know how you're doing. So that's why we sent Timothy. And what was it he wanted to know about them? It was about their faith, that Satan, he refers to Satan as the tempter, that Satan had tempted you so that your faith was shipwrecked. You turned from Jesus. Because of your suffering, you packed it in with Jesus and you went back to how you lived before. That was breaking Paul's heart. He was so concerned for them. So I want to take a moment just now, a uh, moment now, and look at um, the persecution they were experiencing in that day, and then we're going to look at persecution in our world today, because it still happens. So in that day, in the first century, throughout the Roman Empire, there were a number of temples where you would go and worship a god. This uh, temple is still standing, so if you go to uh, to Athens today, just down from the Acropolis, you will see this building. It is a temple to the god Hephaestus, and he was the god who discovered fire. Now, in the first century, men had trades, and each trade had a guild, and each guild had a patron god or goddess, a a particular deity. And so what you would do, now this was to do with uh, the god of fire, if you were a blacksmith, if you were a metal worker, if you were an artisan, you worked with pottery, even carpenters were included in this group, that you would go to the temple and offer a sacrifice to the god of fire. And that you would pledge your allegiance to this god. Because the Roman and Greek gods, uh, for the most part, you had to offer these sacrifices because they didn't like you. You had to appease them. Otherwise, bad stuff was going to happen to you. So when Paul comes into Thessalonica, and he sees all these temples, and you can read about them through the book of Acts, but he sees all these temples. He says to the folks in Thessalonica, we came to you, we shared the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and you turned to God. But turning to God means a turning away from something else. You turned to God From idols, from false gods. If God is not first in my life, the center of my life, everything is an idol. I've got something else in his place. And turning to God means I'm turning from something else. Well, in the first century, as a tradesman, if you uh, worked with metal, and now you saw that temple and a false god, you'd turn to serve the living and true God, you're like, I can't go to the temple and pledge my allegiance to Hephaestus. I can't make a sacrifice to him because I don't believe in him. And more importantly, I'd be betraying or denying Jesus who died on the cross for me. And so what happened was, is that people, Christians, stopped going to the temple. And that was noticed. And so they would lose their license to practice their trade. They lost their jobs. That was one of the forms of persecution that they were experiencing. When you look at the first 300 years of the Roman church, for the most part, it was individual persecution. So over here, someone would lose their job. Over here, someone would be imprisoned. Over here, it was individual. Two times, roughly two times, was it throughout the whole empire. In A.D., 250 that was one of those times Emperor Decesius from Rome issued a decree because what was happening was Christianity was growing like wildfire and lots of people were leaving these temples and sacrifices weren't being made and so he issued an edict that you had to go to a temple of uh, one of the Pantheon of the of, of the of the Roman gods and all and make a sacrifice, pledge your allegiance to the God. He required that of other of, of citizens, and you had to get a receipt, and if you didn't get a receipt showing that you did that, you were imprisoned or executed. So there was a cost to following Jesus. For 300 years, Christians were persecuted. You go from Uh, A.D., uh, the 4th century, to today, all through history, Christians have been persecuted. So let's talk about persecution today. In our world, there are many countries where it's illegal to be a Christian, uh, many countries where you will suffer as a Christian. Last year, Nigeria uh, had the highest number of Christians murdered. They jumped up to number seven, on uh, the world's most dangerous places to be a Christian. So they went to the seventh, uh, the, their number, country number seven, where if you're a Christian, you're looking over your shoulder. Highest number of murders, second highest number of churches attacked, only behind China. In fact, one of the, so after the first service, someone I know was telling me he was on, he's been contacting um, a, a pastor over in Nigeria Uh, he had met a number of years ago and they've remained in contact he's trying to to uh, encourage this uh, pastor in nigeria and this uh, pastor in nigeria has just said that he and his family have to move because it's so dangerous where they are so it's happening in nigeria recently last week just uh, a little over a week ago there was a 25 year old girl she was a college student and she was a christian and she was accused of blasphemy And two youths took this 25-year-old college student and they beat her, they stoned her, and they burned her body. And because Nigeria is still democratic, there's still some justice going on, although it's it's not much. Those two youths were arrested. After they were arrested... Another group came and attacked three church buildings and looted the shops and vandalized the shops and damaged the shops of anybody they knew uh, that was a Christian. So that happened a week ago. But before that, over here, 36 Christians were killed. Over here, 15 Christians were killed. Over here, two, nine, 10, 11. One of the governors of a particular district said, it's becoming blaringly clear that Christians are becoming an endangered species. So folks, be reminded, in Nigeria today, but ahead of Nigeria, you've got North Korea, you've got Af- Afghanistan, you've got Eritrea. In fact, Eritrea, a Christian over there said that the prisons, it's, it's, it's like it's, it's, it's North Korea. And when you go to prison in many of these countries, your family doesn't know where you are. You don't have a lawyer, and it is very, very, hard. And yet, we have people who are remaining faithful to Jesus. In Canada, for the most part, our persecution is relational, it's suffering, you know, you're maybe excluded, somebody thinks you're weird, and and all of that. But from time to time, people are losing their jobs. And as I look at the future of Canada, It seems to me we could be losing freedom of speech, freedom of religion, that if I don't hold to a certain narrative, then I will be silenced and there will be consequences that my rights and your rights, that that those could be lessening, we could be cancelled. Wokeism, all of those things are here. Now, we are not to be afraid, But we have to acknowledge that we do, in some degree, experience pushback because of our faith. And so now I want to talk about what's our response as followers of Jesus? What do we do as followers of Jesus? Can everybody just shut off social media? And I don't know what voices you listen to on social media. And even shut off the voice if you're married, your spouse, every other voice. If you're a follower of Jesus, listen to his voice. One voice, and he's speaking to you, and he says to you, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. If you wanna follow me, if you belong to me, if you call yourself a Christian, You deny yourself, take up your cross. What does it mean to take up your cross? That you're going in the way of the cross. You're going in the way of love. You're going in the way of suffering and you're following Jesus. Taking up your cross is what Jesus asks you to do. He never once asks you to take up your sword. In fact, he says to Peter, Peter, I know you're experiencing pushback here in the garden, but put down your sword. Shares with Peter why he used to do that. In a world where we have tribes and sides and people are just out for each other, Jesus says, don't pick up your sword. Pick up your cross. He goes on to say, Jesus, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you pray for those who mistreat you. The apostle Paul, mistreated and beaten, never once, says, pick up your sword. He was picking up his cross. In fact, to the church at Rome that was being persecuted, the Christians there, he said, he said to uh, to them, do not take revenge. Do not repay evil with evil. You're to overcome evil with good. How can we do that as Christians? How can we encourage each other to love and bless those that might oppose us? How do we do it? Well, Paul says, there's coming a day. It's not yours to take revenge. God has gone on record in saying, it's my right to avenge. I will set all things right. In the meantime, Paul says, you keep burning coals on their head. You keep doing what is good. Now, having said that, let me say this so there's no misunderstanding. There is a place and a role for us as Christians to stand up. We believe Jesus is the most important thing in the world, and we believe his ways lead to thriving. And so we're always saying whatever laws you pass, we think Jesus' way is best. So there is a place for government. God instituted government. He instituted the home, the church, and the government. And government is to promote good. It's to, to um, foster peace. It's to execute judgment. Government. So we, we see government that we're to comply. But here's the thing. When government doesn't, what do we do? Well, we can gather together, and we can petition, and we can uh, challenge in certain ways. That's a good thing. Elect godly men and women. We have that, that responsibility. So there's a part for us to play. But while we do that, we never pick up the sword. We're always picking up our cross, which means when people are just... Does, am I the only one that understands there's a battle out there? When people are fighting each other and hating each other and there's vitriol, that that's not to be for me. I can have a certain view and believe and hold to it and, and, and uh, do what I can for that view, but I do not pick up a sword. Why? Because God's going to set things right. In fact, Paul says in Colossians 2 that at the cross, Jesus disarmed the evil forces. In other words, the battle, the war is already won. Can I repeat that again? If you're a Christian, the war is already won. Jesus has already won. There's a victory parade coming. You don't have to fear. You don't have to say, oh, the world, look at the world and all that's going on. It's okay. We need to pray for the world and all that, but we're okay because he's already won. I mentioned this before, but I was reading, I think it was last summer, or the summer before. Uh, a book called The Splendid and the Vile, and it was, uh, it's a book about the first year in office of uh, Winston Churchill as Prime Minister. And as you read that book, I, just, I, I love that book, but as you read that book, you just see the weight on Winston Churchill because the battle is up for grabs, and England was being bombed in different places, and people were being killed, and, and just the way, every night, just the weight on him because who's gonna win, good or evil? Friends, for us, it's not like World War II. At the cross, Jesus is triumphant. He already won, we know who wins. So we don't have to pick up a sword, but rather we pick up our cross. And when you look at Roman history, don't miss this point, this is is unbelievable. Historians are startled at how fast Christianity exploded in those first 300 years. Was it christians picking up the sword it was christians picking up their cross they went and loved their enemies they were killed they were persecuted they but they would care for people and love people and that more than anything emptied people out of these temples to these false gods and they saw this jesus that these other people were following jesus is bigger than any government anything and he's not going to be stopped And you look at scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, it's just littered with a backdrop of kings who put themselves above God. But they all fall. Same today. There's only one who is sovereign, and that is Jesus, that is God. And in fact, Paul then, Paul then said, I'm so concerned for you so that's why we sent Timothy. Well, Timothy comes back with a report. Verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. You see this protective love Paul has for these other Christians. I was concerned about your faith. That you, because you experienced pushback, the person at this high school doesn't like you, that person over here um, thinks you're weird, that you just packed it in with Jesus. But Timothy, we're so encouraged. Timothy says you're still following Jesus. You've got faith, and notice faith is linked to love. It always is. You can't have faith in Jesus and hate people. Like, you can't have a growing faith in Jesus and hate people. The two are linked. But you've got faith and love. Now, why would they, why are people today still following Jesus when they lose things, even their lives, because they've un- they understand that what they lose or will lose pales in comparison to what they've gained in Jesus. If jesus rose from the dead he is life he's what everything is about he's your greatest treasure and everything else pales in comparison to him there's people going through their death because they know they have jesus and so paul is encouraged he goes on to say in verse 8 for now we really live since you are standing firm in the lord how can we thank god enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our god because of you notice that for now we really live he's saying you know what i got to be honest with you the last year i wasn't living it was almost like i was near death but now i hear that your faith is strong in the lord oh man the joy i'm alive again can any of you relate when you're going through something and you're just like i'm just trying to make it through the next hour because paul paul his heart is so burdened for these christians But now, they're still following Jesus. They have faith, and he's got joy. I wanna ask you, do you, are you concerned for other Christians? When when you see another Christian here, to your left and to your right, and they're standing firm in their faith, and you're just like, yeah. When there's a baptism, and somebody's going public, um, don't have it all together but I love Jesus or I know Jesus. Are are you excited about that? Like this, are you concerned? And then on the other side, when someone is being led astray, does that bother you? Man, I can't stand that. Paul says, I can't stand it any longer. I gotta know whether you're following Jesus or not. Do you ever like, I can't stand that somebody might be being led astray? I know for me, uh, as I was thinking through this passage this week, one of the things I can't stand, and we're going to talk about this a little more next week, as we talk about social issues, and, or a text in 1 Thessalonians 4, but, um, and we're going to have a series in, in the days ahead about uh, social issues. And Jesus wants the best for everybody. He loves everybody. But here's the thing. I can't stand that children today in Canada... Are being lied to. They're being deceived. Okay, let me put that in context. If Jesus is our creator, he is the ultimate reality, again, there was nothing, he created everything, then all truth is that which corresponds to reality. That he is, that's why he said, he is truth. So everything that contradicts what Jesus said, or anything in his word that contradicts it, it's a lie. People are being deceived. So, In schools, for the most part, in a lot of schools, public schools, kids are being taught that evolution is a fact. This level, this level. Evolution is a theory. It's not a fact. And so we have these kids being taught this by this teacher and this teacher, all the while we have scientists at the very top of their discipline, the very top schools, who will say, evolution is a fact, And we believe in a creator God because we look at the evidence and it's this way. So a child, instead of being told, well, here's evolution, I'm talking about macroevolution, microevolution, we know things evolve within their species group, but macroevolution, that's a fact. And we should say as Christians, well, let's look at it, but let's look at evidence that maybe says something else, that there's a creator. So our kids are being taught this. And then now, with with all the different issues out there, here's what's right. And we would say, wait a second, that's maybe not the best thing for people. And what's more, not only is the other side not being heard, but people that hold to the other side are oppressive, are dangerous. My heart goes out to, to school teachers and to children it's just like, you're gonna hear one person at the microphone, and not only can you not be heard on, at the microphone, if you hold to another view, you are oppressive, and you are dangerous. It used to be the Christian faith was, whether, whether was it was true or not. Today, it's, is it oppressive, all the people that hold to the Bible? Once you stop for a moment and think of this. In Canada right now, we have equality, compassion, consent, science, freedom, progress that are being lifted up. And those are good things. Those are really good things. Did you know in in many countries today, you don't find equality, you don't find compassion. So we have to ask the question, where did those things come from? They didn't come out of thin air. Why in Canada, in the West, do we have that? Because there's a lot of places that don't. Well, if you go back to the ancient world and the Roman Empire at the time, equality was unthinkable. Compassion was undesirable. Consent was unimportant. How did we get from that world to this world? One name, Jesus. It was people that encountered Jesus and the spread of Christianity that brought those convictions to the places they went. One particular, I think he's a historian, but said this, and this is ironic, but yet it's tragic. We continue to use the convictions, the thought forms, and even the metaphysics of the faith we are so soon to reject. People are ignorant of how we got to where we are today and these good things. And we're rejecting the very faith that they came from. Are you concerned about other Christians today? Are you concerned about the people on your right to your left? As elders, again, back to this pandemic, we knew it wasn't good for for us not to be together and it grieved us and there's consequences of being isolated and so during the last two years we reached out to the 1300 or so people that call woodside their church home and we reached out to them to see how they were doing does anybody ever remember did you get a candle did you get pancake mix i think it was did you make pancakes hope you did um but that we were just like we long like how's everybody doing we were concerned and even today as elders we're grateful for so many people have come back, but we're still wondering, you know, uh, uh, so-and-so coming back and whatever, you're missed. And so we, are, we need that concern for one another. If you're new, we want you to be a part of Woodside. And uh, one of the best ways Uh, That you can become a part is through a life group and in the fall in just a a few months We'll be starting them again But we want you where you're concerned for some other Christians in your life group and they're concerned for you or you're on a ministry team And you're helping out in this ministry or that ministry and 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 you're both orbiting around Jesus and you're concerned for one another Uh, And then quickly I want to talk to to the older people and the younger people. Okay, I'm in the middle there So first the older people If you're in your 60s 70s or 80s, okay, gotcha, right? for the most part we this church is filled with older people who have matured in their faith they're not perfect who are further along the road than others in this church and i want to say to you in your 60s 70s and 80s you have something to offer in this church you are needed in this church in some way let me give you an example we believe that with jesus when two people love jesus and they lay everything down and they say, Jesus, we want to do it your way, that there's hope for marriages. We really believe that, that he can save. He has saved marriages. But one of the things we've been wanting to do for over two years and hopefully outside of the pandemic is we want to have marriage mentors. We want to have some of you older folk come alongside someone else in their marriage and just be there with them. And do you know, studies show that you don't have to be a psychotherapist to help a couple all of your imperfections maybe it's you're just you're praying with them you're listening to them. you're trying to encourage them but you have something to offer you really do to all of our younger people the, the ones in high school and college and university you may be maybe not real far along the road but you're here but God can absolutely use you where you're at That in high school, when you see another Christian, that he stirs within you, oh, there's another Christian, and that other Christian is sitting alone at the lunch table, that maybe you just might go over and invite that Christian to sit with you and your friends. Or maybe in the school hallway or somewhere, you're just like smiling at the other, trying to to be a friend to them. Young people, God can absolutely use you. When God's working in your life, you long to be with other Christians, you um, have a concern for other Christians. And number three, you pray for the faith of other Christians. Look what Paul writes to them beginning in verse 10. Night and day we pray most earnestly. Again, that emotive language. That we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Just a reminder, we are all lacking in our faith. None of us has arrived. So all of us, no matter what you believe on every secondary issue or whatever, you haven't arrived. You're lacking. We're all lacking. I'm lacking. We need to be teachable. We need to be humble. Okay. We want to supply what's lacking. One of the things they were lacking was they they weren't quite understanding the second coming of Christ. So that's why Paul teaches them in this letter about it. Supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Oh, we're praying to God that we'll get to see you. That He'll make a way. Did you know what? He didn't get to see them. He never saw them again. He would have to wait until he sees them in glory. Why did Paul keep praying? Because this was an early church letter. He wrote other letters calling people to pray. What, Paul, God didn't answer your prayer. It's time to walk. It's time to like move on. And he keeps praying because he knows ultimately there's a bigger story, a bigger plan. And he would say, it's not my will, but yours be done. Okay, God, I'm praying for this. I don't understand this, but I'll keep praying to you. Paul had faith because he knew Jesus had risen. Jesus was sovereign over everything. His ways are a little higher than Paul's ways. Kept going. If you are struggling with prayer, please know that just because there's a no or something doesn't go your way, doesn't mean God isn't still at work. And so Paul, he continues, to, and so he prays. But then he prays for this, these Christians in Thessalonica, and he prays this prayer. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Now, Timothy had come back and said, Paul, They love each other. They have faith and love. But yet Paul prays for their love to increase and overflow. That these Christians, some were Jews, some were Greeks, some were masters, some were slaves, some were males, some were females, some were educated, some were non-educated, some were wealthy, some were poor, some had jobs, some now didn't have jobs. Lots of chances, lots of opportunities for disunity. And Paul says, no, I pray that that love will overflow. It'll go deeper and overflow. But notice, he says, I'm praying for love, not just you have love for one another, but for everyone else. I'm praying for those at the temple that don't like you. I'm praying for those people that exclude you. I'm praying that your love will overflow for them. Why didn't Paul ever pick up the sword? Why did he always go the way of the cross, pick up the cross, and follow Jesus? Because he knew, he knew that Jesus had already won the war at the cross, and Jesus had asked him, you just keep showing people love. And that's why we need each other, because our tendency is not to deny ourselves. Our tendency is to, anybody want to fill in the blank? Okay, everybody, let's stand up one by one and tell us what our tendency is. No, no, you love those people that don't like you. And then he prays for their faith may the lord strengthen your hearts so that you'll blameless you'll be blameless and holy now again if you're a follower of jesus in god's sight he doesn't see you as some pathetic sinner you are holy and blameless you're robed in the righteousness of christ you are holy set apart for god and you are blameless without fault no injustice no unrighteousness that's what you are in position paul prays that in practice as they live it out that that gap would close, that they would live their lives set apart for God in the face of persecution, that they would continue to do what is right and just with others, that they would be blameless. The pastor in, one of the pastors in Nigeria, uh, when, you know, with just all of these deaths happening, Uh, they were interviewing one of the pastors and he was saying that they're praying for justice but he also referred to if it doesn't come now it will come in heaven in other words in the present situation that he was involved in nigeria he was looking to the ultimate destiny and did you know there was no pushback from christians against that college girl we live in light of being with jesus forever is that shaping how you're living today one day your faith will become sight one day your salvation you'll experience the consummation of your salvation new resurrection bodies no more sin no more struggles and one day everything will be set right by the one who is coming he's promised that it's a day where the last will be first the first will be last it's a day in a sense too of vindication that everybody that has suffered for christ will be rewarded and share in his glory may your destiny what's ahead shape you today. May we together long to be with each other, may we be concerned about each other's faith, and may we continue to pray with each other. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and we're going to respond now. As we pray, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the love and the faith that is, that is at Woodside Church. And Lord, I ask that in in the days ahead, you would increase our love, that it would overflow, not only for each other, but Lord, by faith that we would love everyone else. Oh Lord, continue to stir us and move us in that direction. And then Lord, I pray for our faith at Woodside, that you would strengthen our hearts, that we would continue to follow you no matter what is ahead. And we do this looking forward to the day when we will see Jesus, and it's in his name we pray this, amen.